This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. And good morning, beautiful people, on a Saturday morning. It is tremendous outside, and it's time for two just stupendous hours of sports talk. Been gone for a week. Thank you very much, LSU football, for giving us. And also, I think, to a certain extent, thank CBS for giving me a week off. There's always at least one week a year where the famous CD is on holiday, if you will. One week a year, we take a little bit of a holiday, and it's more because of when the LSU Tigers have these 11 a.m. kickoffs because it's a two-hour pregame show. And it was a fun game. For a little while, then it wound up turning bad, turning sideways very, very quickly. But we'll talk about LSU in a little bit. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, especially through the FM dial. I know some might be having issues with the iOS app right now. Here's a quick and temporary solution. That way you don't miss a single solitary second of the must-listen-to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. Go to 1037thegame.com on your browser on your iPhone, and there should be a little ribbon that says, uh, listen live to the game. Click that, hit continue to stay on the Safari app, and bada bing, bada boom, you are in. You're able to listen to us after a little pre-roll action. You get to have nothing but great sports talk coming through no matter where you're at, be it, you know, here in Lafayette or out in Fiji, you can listen to us anywhere, anytime, any place. And heck, if you're at home, go ahead and check us out on Alexa. Enable the skill today. The game, Southwest Louisiana. It's just that simple. Again, appreciate you listening in. It's good to be back after a little bit of a break. But I had a break. That means I've got plenty to talk about as we get into this show. And it feels apropos that this is the topic we lead off on this week's show. And that's what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. I jumped around a lot on this conversation about how the show open was going to go. And then yesterday, to a certain extent, Dennis Allen very much made the decision for me all too easy to go with the Saints once again. Last week, we did more of the same thing. But I think now the conversation gets a little bit louder, gets a little bit more pronounced because the announcement that Andy Dalton is going to be starting for the New Orleans Saints on Sunday afternoon when the Saints take on the Bengals in a matchup many thought was going to be a marquee Sunday night football type matchup, but it's at high noon. 
maybe those expectations have dropped a little bit because, after all, both the Saints and the Bengals have had inauspicious starts to their 2022 season. But when you look at the New Orleans Saints, I think, honestly, for the first time since Jeff Blake and Aaron Brooks were in the black and gold, there is a legitimate quarterback controversy right here, right now. This time around, I think to a certain extent, Jeff Blake is playing the role of Jameis Winston, and then you've got the Aaron Brooks role being played by the Red Rifle old man Andy Dalton, a guy who is probably one of the best regular season quarterbacks. I say regular season quarterbacks for a very distinct reason. He's good in the regular season, but when he's in the postseason, he falls apart. You look at what he's done with the Bengals. He had that Bengals team working well. Andy Dalton very much has a playoff record that's kind of the opposite of The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Cannot get it done. Has only been in four postseason games between 2011 and 2014. And spoilers, he did not win a single game. He's 0-4. Again, the opposite of The Undertaker's undefeated streak from back in the day. And it feels pretty basic saying this on the surface, but the situation is all too familiar for longtime Saints fans. And I say longtime because I think a lot of fans who may have jumped on the bandwagon, people more along the age of James Mesh, jumped on the bandwagon right around the time the Saints were hot bleep. And I mean hot bleep in a good way in terms of the fresh new hotness and were making runs towards the postseason with a great regularity. But it's amazing how much we continue the conversation about how hyped we were about this team. We continue to be kind of allured by the fool's gold of this team. And yes, the body of work that Jameis Winston put out there in the three games he played, he left a lot to desire, left a lot to be desired at that position with all the talent around him. I mean, you've got Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Jarvis Landry. And you can't go 2-1 when you're playing your NFC South brethren? Are you kidding me? That's where the conversation lies, my friends. The fans have absolutely every reason to hate Jameis Winston and say that he's not it. But I still feel like he's got something to offer. People are wanting to put this guy on ice and shut down the Jameis Winston project altogether. Mind you, I think some of these people didn't want Jameis Winston to be on the team to begin with. Never even gave him a fair shot, a fair chance. And again, yes, the last three games, and this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, it's not good. But I think there's a lot of other things that kind of hurt him and and kind of had his hand tied behind, had his hand tied behind his back type situation. On the other hand, what he did in Dennis Allen and make the, make the decision to go with Andy Dalton for this contest, it's a smart idea, honestly, because Dennis Allen is playing the hot hand. And sometimes in the NFL, that's what you've got to do. It's a 17-game season. You play with the hot hand, the guy that's getting it done. And spoilers, Andy Dalton, while it hasn't necessarily been lighting the world on fire, trust me, comparing Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton, statistically wise, it's about the same. So people out there who are saying, oh, Andy Dalton's the guy, let's get him. Let's let's have him have the opportunity to get us to the playoffs. I don't necessarily think so. He is not playing to the level 
that maybe we expect from him. Yes, he got that team almost to a win in London Town, if not for a painful. And it's this one's not on Will Lutz at all. It's just how the crossbores doink, quite literally, a double doink that looked like it was mere inches away from crossing a certain pylon, further proving why I think we need VAR in football for these kind of situations. He hasn't set the world on fire offensively, but he's kept this team competitive. The team looked good last Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks, but spoilers, if you haven't watched the game, and hopefully you have, it's been almost a week, it wasn't because of Andy Dalton and his ability to throw the football. It was because of one person in particular, and that's Taysom Hill, a guy that I've derided as a quarterback. I'm going to go ahead and make that statement right now for those that maybe don't remember. Last year, I wasn't a fan of the Taysom Hill experiment having him at quarterback. I think he is great at every other role he has, and that's why I didn't want him being quarterback. He is absolutely one of the best Swiss Army Knives in the history of football. He is very much like Cordell Stewart, the slash kind of guy. He can do it all, and that's what he did this past Sunday. 40 points in terms of fantasy racked up. If you had him, you might have been streaking into the quad, through the quad, and into the gymnasium before it was all said and done. And there's no other way you can spin this. Taysom Hill won you that ball game. Can you expect it every single game? No. But if you can have a good opportunity in Taysom Hill to keep you competitive alongside Andy Dalton, I think I like those chances against certain teams in the NFL. That's where I'm at with the Saints Swiss Army Knife. So with all this brought to the table, I think the biggest question is, and people have been asking this for a while, is should the Saints put Winston on ice, metaphorically speaking, of course, and start working towards 2023 to find that next guy, be it in the draft or in free agency? I don't think so. I understand. I have... I keep saying it week in and week out. I have been in the past the biggest Jameis Winston hater. People who have listened to the show back when he was with Tampa Bay, causing all kinds of ruckus, allegations about him with an Uber driver, all those things. I very much thought that Jameis Winston's career at one point was dead in the water. But fast forward to 2022, I don't think it's quite as dead in the water as you think. If he can stop playing hero ball... If he can stop playing emotionally, I think he can be an absolute good to great. Not elite, but good to great quarterback. And I think great quarterbacks in this league, as we've noticed in the last couple of years, are quickly becoming a far and few between type thing. If Jameis Winston is able to sit and deal with these mounting injuries and be left alone and kind of be fully healthy, when he gets back, let the man cook. Don't be like Nathaniel Hackett and don't let Russ cook. Let Jameis Winston cook. And I think they'll be able to get things done offensively. And he'll change some of the minds. Again, I'm, in the, I'm of the firm belief. I think a lot of people were absolutely adamant about not having Jameis Winston be the starter. Don't believe me? Go look at Twitter. Back around draft time. People were riding certain players. Kenny Pickett, who I think is going to be a good player down the road. Malik Willis, probably I'd say 
Lamar Jackson 2.0 or 1.5. A lot of quarterbacks, people were just, oh, we need to have, we need to get this guy. I'm like, no, you don't need to get these guys, especially with what they're worth. I was seeing somebody bring up Grayson McCall in their mock draft. I mean, first off, mock drafts in October are absolutely idiotic. And number two, Grayson McCall is not a day two, a second round draft pick. I'm sorry. Grayson McCall is good, but I don't think he's that great in terms of that kind of draft pick and that kind of draft stock, especially right here, right now. Again, when I see people bring up their mock drafts in October, I have to really wonder what their priorities in life are. Just just my personal opinion. But when I see that kind of stuff, I have to laugh. Here's the thing. For me, Dalton and Hill, one, either one of those two are not the answer for the long term. And we're only in week six of a 17-game schedule. Let's get Winston healthy, and then we figure out the rest after that. Because I think this team has so much potential to do great things. Yes, my expectations are kind of shattered at this point because of the fact they had a rough start. To a certain extent, it's because of the way the NFL schedule fell for them. Because I don't think there's too many teams out there in the league that are that had to open up the season playing not one, not two, but all of their NFC South opponents in the first three weeks of the season. That kind of deals you a little bit of a, of a bad hand because, again, the visual matchups always are tough to predict. And the fact that you have Jameis Winston kind of get hurt week one, if he's able to come back and be healthy around week eight, I think then we can really make a statement whether or not Jameis Winston is going to be that guy for this franchise in the not-too-distant future. I'm hopeful, but there's no guarantees in the world of the NFL. If Dalton balls out tomorrow against the Cincinnati Bengals and they win, they get a big win to get to 500, that's a huge opportunity for Andy Dalton to further solidify himself as the guy. Do I think he's the guy? Not necessarily, but we'll see what happens. That's kind of where we're at when you look at the New Orleans Saints. We'll talk more Saints at 10.30 with our guy, Ross Jackson. Outside of that, no guess. We are wide-ass open. The phone line's 337-706-0111. If you want to talk about the Saints, Cajuns, LSU, whatever. Hey, if you want to talk about what I did during my week off on Under the Dome with CD, you can do that. So give us a call at 337-706-0111. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in the high school area, high school football, week seven in the books. Can't believe we're almost to the end of the regular season in high school football. We'll recap what happened in week eight and more right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. 
We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself on the Saturday. It is doggone beautiful this morning. I know a couple of days ago, a couple of days ago we had some rain, and it was definitely refreshing to have that first off because it had been a little while. But the fact that the weather has cooled down a little bit again is starting to feel a lot like actual fall weather right about now. I'm all the way here for that. Mind you, I think towards the end of next week, that's when it's really going to start feeling very much fall-like as we kind of approach Halloween in a couple weeks. I'm all the way here for that. Trust me. I love cool weather, so I'm excited about all that. But what I'm more excited about is what's going on in high school football across the Acadiana area. And needless to say, it is very much a good year for high school sports in Acadian. Why do I say that? Well, I'll go ahead and break it down for you really quickly. Because first off, you've got programs like St. Thomas More, Acadian High doing their thing. Yes, Acadian High last night lost to John Curtis 35-14. But again, Acadiana, there, there's a difference in how Acadiana play. Like they are when they play the best of the best. It's always a little bit a little bit more of a gamble. But when they play their teams in 3-5A, they are usually able to hold serve and control the district and in turn control their destiny. That said, it's going to be interesting to see how it all kind of works with a lot of these programs. We've got to break it down real quick. Again, John Curtis, they played a little bully ball against Acadiana. We're able to just push them around. And you wind up having John Curtis get the job done, a lot of it on the ground for John Curtis, namely Marlon Prout with 134 yards and two touchdowns on the evening. You also had not a whole – it was definitely very much a battle of the veers, and John Curtis's veer was a little bit better on this night. Some other games, Turling's Catholic on Thursday night. This was absolutely one of those games in the Acadian area where if you weren't there, you were watching, paying attention to this game. It was the premier matchup of Acadiana area teams. You have Turling's Catholic taking on LCA. This was a barn burner all the way through. And somehow, someway, the Turlings Rebels defense gets it done in a highly dramatic ball game and continue to slay Dragons, winning 21-17 over a absolute powerhouse in the Lafayette Christian Academy Knights who have just recently made the move up from 2A straight to 4A. Nothing short of impressive what we saw there. And probably one of the more signature wins for Danger Ponche since he's taken over that program. Then we go to their crosstown rival, St. Thomas More. They steamrolled Northside. Again, it was kind of expected. Heck, I was telling James Friday night, the fact that you have that matchup go down, STM was going to wind up having a running clock in that contest. I think they had the running clock going after the first half. That was absolutely just beat down and then some type of game. 49-7, your final score there. Definitely nothing surprising on that end, but it also will set up an interesting week eight, which we'll talk about in a moment. 
yeah, Southside, they took care of business as well. We can't neglect our guys, Matt Miguez and crew, on the call for the action. Southside comes away with a 28-7 win over Sulphur to improve to 6-1. and one. Again, don't forget, Southside is a team that has only been playing varsity football for a few years. They're not guys like Laffy. They're, they're in a district with absolute powerhouses and teams that have had really solid runs like Barb, like Acadiana High, like Karen Crow now. That's a stacked district if there ever was one. And heading into a pivotal game next week, Southside has something going in a six-game winning streak. That's as hot as you can be, if we're being honest, outside of being 7-0. Karen Crow, they get back in action. They took care of business against a 3-5-A opponent in Como on Thursday night. This was absolutely impressive, especially Chance Caesar. Four touchdowns, 209 yards, 11 of 20 on the evening. Again, Thursday night action, that program is starting to kind of find its way. Westgate, they were able to handle business as well, 39-7. Again, that district in... I believe it's 5-4 right now. I can't remember off top, but that's going to be an interesting district to say the very least. Westgate's going to play Lafayette Christian next Friday. Two highly touted teams with a lot of great talent. That's probably the week eight like must-watch game of the week. A big rivalry game on Thursday night with Erath taking on Kaplan. This was the Vermilion Parish game of the week in Erath. Push past Kaplan 37 22, definitely well done there. Sacred of Ville Platte, they powered past St. Ed's last night. It was a low-scoring game heading into the fourth quarter, but there were moments where it felt like this was going to be a high-scoring affair or it was just going to be a barn burner. Lo and behold, I believe it was like 12-7 at half, and then the game kind of blew up in the second half. And, of course, Sagarada of Ville Platte did come away with the win 31-17 on the season. So it's definitely going to be an interesting next couple of days to see how next couple of weeks to see how everything kind of shakes out in the district. Namely, with two of them in particular. It's 3-5A without a doubt. Because you've still got for the next two weeks, Acadia and a high is playing its most two most important games of the season in my heart of hearts. But I think this week is a lot more pivotal because if you beat Southside, I think that sets you up really nicely to win your district. Is All you have left is to deal with this Karakrow in terms of a true opponent. The Golden Bears are two weeks out. But this week, it's Southside, Acadiana High. This is going to be a banger of a ball game. There's no doubt about it. This is going to be a ball game you have to check out. And you can hear that on 97.7 Me TV FM and 13.30 AM. And then the other matchup I think we're all going to be keeping an eye on is the undefeated Turlings Rebels taking on the St. Thomas More Cougars in what is probably going to be for the first time, I'd say, since 2016, back when Wesley Blazik was a part of the program, that team is going to be very much a battle for the district crown, number one. And I think it's also going to play a pivotal role in how the seeding goes 
in Division Two when those playoffs do start in the select bracket. Keyword is select bracket. It's a little weirder this year than most, but that's going to play a huge role because usually STM winds up winning that matchup and they control their own fate. And more importantly, they are either going to be a one or a two seed depending on how certain things do go. But STM Turlings, I think that's going to be a more pivotal matchup, not just in terms of the short term, but in terms of where both programs kind of land in the rankings when it's all said and done. Those two massive matchups. Barb, they got back on the win side, the win side, I should say, of the column with a nice win over New Iberia Senior High, who drops to one and six. Again, this was kind of your bottom of the barrel type teams in the land of 3-5-A. And Nish is not good. Barb, not as good as they have been in past years. I think after the hurricane, that program has gone through a lot of shuffling, a lot like what we're seeing with the Big East Cowboys at the college ranks. So give me Barb Buccaneers. Hopefully they can get this momentum back up and running. That's what I'm hoping for in my heart of hearts. Next week, Barb's going to be taking on Lafayette High, who they're not at the level they were a couple years ago, but they're still pretty doggone good. Four and three on the season. But Lafayette High is looking to kind of get a measure of revenge after losing to Sam Houston at 42-41. And again, we've mentioned before, but I'm going to recap it here, is that if you're going to this game, Lafayette High versus Barb, be aware it's not at Lafayette High, it's at LCA because the fact they have... The renovations still ongoing. I think I drove by Lafayette High last weekend and saw a little bit of it. Not much from what I could tell up front, but I'm sure there were a lot of changes once you kind of went towards the back end and probably some more internal changes from that perspective. Yeah, week seven, though. I'm blown away how quickly things have changed over the last couple of weeks and how quickly this season has flown by. And again, I think it's the fact that the month of September was five weeks. So basically you blazed through half of your season before you got to October. And now you're nearing the end of the season. You've only got three games left. And there are some district races still to be determined. Namely, 3-5-A is absolutely going to be a fun one to keep tabs on because Caracrow's good. You've got Southside who is playing at a very good level especially considering the amount of time they've been playing varsity, this is going to be a a huge year for the Sharks, and hopefully they can get it done. Hopefully they can get it done next Friday against Acadia and a high. That's going to be the matchup, I think, is the must-watch and must-listen to type of game. And me also, I think we could also go with what's going on with St. Thomas More Turlings as a close second. Let's go ahead and take a quick time out. We'll get to the world of college football in the next segment. In fact, the next two segments. This was initially going to be just one segment, but there was no guest for 930. So we decided to break it up, put it into two individual segments, and that is mid-season report cards on the LSU Tigers and the Raging Cajuns. We'll get to that when we come back right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette. And 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
The world famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. <laughs> now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear with Under the Dome with the world famous CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Live, yet at 1041 Lake Charles. We are your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Absolutely loving the fact that we got a big game later on today with the LSU Tigers. Taking on the Florida Gators, and you'll hear all the action right here. Pre-game at 4 o'clock, kickoff at 6. It's definitely going to be a barn burner. Chris Blair and crew are going to have one heck of a call. You can listen to it all right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, and also if you're out in Lake Charles on 104.1. I got to say, what I've seen from the LSU Tigers so far in this very young season, and I understand we're six weeks in, still young, is there's a lot of inconsistencies, and when they play great to elite teams, it becomes exposed a lot of those issues become exposed, and to a certain extent, they become exacerbated. Go look at week one against Florida State. What happened in that one? You had a lot of issues, especially on special teams. And that's where we're going to start off with the grades here, is I got to give the LSU special teams crew an F. And it's not a damning thing on the entire program's special teams, because, yes, there were moments in that Florida State game where Field goals, extra points were blocked, missed, all that stuff. I get that. But it's not entirely on the foot of a kicker. It's muffed punts, muffed kickoffs, screwed up plays like that. That hurt you in the long run. That alone is enough to give you an F, in my mind. Because you have to get that fixed. And they've looked better at it. But again, when they play good to elite teams, it becomes exposed. Don't believe me? Go look at last week, the opening kickoff. What happened there? Then Tennessee takes the lead and never really gives it back after that. That was a absolute statement to me that this Tennessee team, they are a good to elite type team. And when I was listening into the broadcast, because I was driving around town instead of just watching at home, you had that kickoff return from Jack Besh that was fumbled, and it was pretty quickly the Vols took over and silenced what was at the time a hot crowd over in Tiger Stadium. Death Valley was very much eerily quiet after that. And the program needed to get back on the winning side of things because it was a tough road to hoe for the purple and gold after that. And it further proved why, like, one of the things I was wondering heading into the season is can Tennessee finally live up to the hype? Now, we can debate that till the cows come home about that team, whether or not they are going to live up to the hype. It all depends on what happens this time 
or at about 2.30 this afternoon when they play Alabama. Because if somehow, way they manage to beat Alabama for the first time in probably forever, I'd love to, I'd be, I'd love to be wrong about this. And I'll tell you, I, again, love to be wrong about this, but I just don't feel in my heart of hearts, I'm going to be proven wrong on this front. Is that the Alabama Crimson Tide isn't as good as we think it is. Are they going to be a national championship contender? Of course, because they always are. They always get a little bit more of the BOTD. And a big reason why is something that I've talked about time and again is that the SEC is a conference that is going to cannibalize itself. I think the C in SEC doesn't stand for conference anymore. It's cannibalization because they will eat themselves alive. A lot of the programs can and will. Don't believe me? Go back in 2014 and see a lot of the wild upsets that were going down around that time. Go back and look at the history books. The SEC loves to have these kind of years. I think this year is a prime example of that. When you've got Georgia, who could barely beat Mizzou. You've got Alabama, who almost lost to Texas. It was what was one of the best games of the year, bar none. And I'm still kicking my own ass about not placing the bet on Alabama uh, on Texas covering like 20 points. That was idiotic of me, and I continue to kind of kick my own butt to this day. And there's another bet that I'm going to talk about at the top of the hour that I am regretting every single day that I cashed out on. We'll talk about that more and more as the show progresses. That said, I will bring up this about LSU. The one thing I am liking about it is how the defense is getting a little bit better every week. Is it elite? No. But is it getting the job done? Is it keeping things competitive? I think so. I think that side of the football is getting a little bit better. In terms of a grade, I'll give them a C plus. I'll give them a C plus again. When you allow 30 points on the board against Tennessee, it kind of hurts your overall grade. You look at what they've done over the course of a season. It's a 40, excuse me. You allow a 40 burger. It's not a great look. You start off the season allowing 24, 17, 16, 0, and 17. That's not bad, especially when you look at points for, points against, uh, that little the, the, the point differential. I think things still skew a little bit more towards LSU, but that gap got a little bit closer because of allowing the 40 burger against Tennessee, who again is a damn good team. How does how did that how does that team work with Florida this afternoon or this evening at six o'clock? When you've got a guy like Anthony Richardson who can be a really good dual threat quarterback, and then you've got a two headed monster in the running back room in Travis excuse me, not Travis, Trevor HN. And then you've got Montreal Johnson, a former Cajuns transfer, who I think the Cajuns, and we'll talk about them in the next segment, I think they severely miss in the backfield. So I think with the defense overall, they are good, but aren't quite elite. The fact they got a shutout win against New Mexico, you can kind of just wipe that from the board. A 65-17 win over Southern, you were pretty much putting in your second string after the first quarter. Because they were up like 40 to nothing after the first quarter. Then you have 
Auburn's Auburn. Those games that Auburn's been playing all year long are very weird and almost like a war of attrition. But the fact that you allowed, you know, Robbie Ashford to throw for 337 yards after all the mess they've been going through at quarterback, it's not a great look. But Tank Bigsby holding him to 45, that's impressive. I think the run defense definitely deserves more of a B-minus to a B-plus type of range. Then we get to the offense. I think the offense, to a certain extent, in Brian Kelly's first year, has been, for lack of a better word, pedestrian. You didn't win that game against Auburn because of Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer. It was because of the run game. Jaden Daniels was able to get it done with his legs, not with his arm. And I don't think that's necessarily conducive to getting wins on the board consistently in year number one under Brian Kelly. Yes, there are moments where he's throwing the ball and looking great. But I think even then, it's your only real option in terms of getting things done. Jane Daniels had to throw the football around a lot last Saturday, and it's more because of the fact that a lot like what we saw with Drew Brees in those 2014-2017 years, when you're down by that much, you have no choice but to throw the damn football. 32 of 45 for 300 yards and a touchdown? Not necessarily the most, like, numbers that pop off the page for you, right? But again, you have no choice really because Garrett Nussmeyer has started to prove himself he's not that guy going forward. Jane Daniels looks good. And I don't think, despite what I heard George Faust say yesterday on the Jordy show, I don't think there's any chance that we see one Walker Howard make his first start. Unless somehow, some way, like there's no way that they throw him out there, throw him to the Wolves in this kind of ball game. It, at Florida, inside Ben Hill Griffin Stadium for his first game. I think that would be a big mistake, a lot like what happened with Brandon Harris. Now, mind you, back when Brandon Harris got his first start against Auburn a number of years ago, it was very much a you-had-to-do-it situation. It wasn't a, hey, we're going to just throw him up there, see what works type thing. This was, hey, we don't have another quarterback that we can rely on to get us to a potential win. Brandon Harris was just thrown to the fire way back in the day. I think that definitely hurt him and hurt his development down the road. Could be completely off base here, but I think the offense deserves like a C- minus because they have not shown me anything outside of the squash matches they had against Southern and New Mexico that they can get it done. The run game is getting a little bit better. Yes, the run game is getting slightly better. More because Jaden Daniels is proving himself to be a little more of a Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson type. But outside of that, are you really thinking John Embry Jr., Noah Kane are going to be consistent guys that are going to get you to that mountaintop? Not necessarily sold right now. He's looking at LSU. like They literally could not get anything done on the ground against Tennessee. Do you expect them to do that against their next two opponents after Florida? Spoilers, they play Mississippi, Alabama after the Florida game today. That does not bode well, my friends. That does not bode well for LSU's run game or just their offense as a whole because those two teams are firing on all cylinders, and it's, not going to lie, a little frightening. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll talk about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, give you my thoughts on that. If you want to call up 337 337- 
706-0111. We'll be back after this right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. And boy, oh boy, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they got a really nice win on Thursday night football over the Marshall Thundering Herd, a team they've beaten twice within the last year. It's great to see, especially with the fact that the Cajuns, for the most part this season, hadn't put together a complete game yet. And I think in my heart of hearts, yes, it was more on the side of Marshall before the rain delay or the lightning delay at halftime. But I've got to think that that was the first complete game that the Cajuns have put together through five, six games. Because their first two, the first one was very much, again, I'm going to use a wrestling term here because I am that guy. It was a glorified squash match to start off the season. Then you play Eastern Michigan, and you were down a good bit of that ball game until that lightning delay right before halftime that pretty much caused that rain delay to become halftime. You had a absolute turnaround in the second half, and you were popping off on opponents. Left, right, and sideways. Then you go play Rice, and you lay an egg. You absolutely laid an egg there. Then you play UL Monroe, your in-state rival, a game that I think many would expect you to win. Was not the case at all. And the Vermilion White lost that one, then they lose to South Alabama on a walk-off field goal. That was a lot more of a competitive ball game, but still a bit of a head-scratcher just based off of what I've seen from this program. So we'll break it down in a couple different ways. I think in terms of the entire overall grade of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, it's a C-, minus, but there are some things that really make you wonder where the positives are. I think the positives lie in special teams. Eric Guerra, number one. Number two, Kenny Amadaris is getting better. He's gotten some really good field goals in in a lot of different places, especially in hostile environments. Big win there. That's a big plus. I'd say they that's a B plus, A minus type stuff. And it's more because of guys like Eric Garor getting it done. A lot like It's the opposite, the Costanza of what's going on with LSU's special teams in terms of their return specialists. Or lack thereof in some cases, because I don't know why guys like Jack Bash are returning kickoffs. Again, just my opinion. Then you have the offense... I think it's starting to find its rhythm. Maybe Chandler Fields isn't the guy. Maybe Ben Woolrich is that guy, pal. And I've got to think that alone could turn it around. 
But overall, the offense, I think I've got to give that a B- minus to a C plus. More because of the fact that your run game, which has been prolific for years, and yes, you don't have an Elijah Mitchell or a Trey Regis, but it feels like it just it's left a lot to be desired. And I said it earlier, I think they definitely miss a guy like Montrell Johnson, former Cajuns running back, now with the Florida Gators. They miss him a ton because he's getting a lot of opportunity and a lot more run. But again, more power to the guy, Montrell, for getting it done and more importantly, getting that NIL money. And defense, I'll go throw this in as like a as a C, just a, just a flat C. I can't really say too much bad or good about it. It's just been there. There's been moments where they have gotten it done all, like defensively and gotten some big turnovers. Braylon Draw has been that guy. Outside of that, there hasn't been a whole lot of positive to take away from it. A lot of chunk plays I've seen, especially against lesser opponents. Eastern Michigan, prime example of that. South Alabama, prime example of that. Yul Monroe, the way that defense kind of let that game get out of hand. Now, mind you, they were more just the fact they couldn't get off the field because the offense was inept at certain points. It's a different conversation. So, overall, I give the Cajuns about a, about a C, and then we give the LSU Tigers about a C-. minus. Could be off base there in my opinions, but that's where I'm at. Back after this with our number two of Under the Dome with CD on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the Tigers and Astros. <laughs> 